God, you are, you are good, God, as we sang. Lord, you're so good. And I pray that we would be in awe of you. I pray as our lips utter those words that it would stir up uh, something real in our hearts. And Lord, bring something true in our lives. Lord, that as, you, as we think of who you are, that you are real and that you are good and you have given us this life and all that we have, Lord, for your purpose and your glory. And in that is our greatest joy. Lord, I pray that this morning that would be what our hearts are set toward, what our minds are set toward, what our will is set toward, and what our lives are set toward. So God, we, uh, we just give you this time. Lord, um, we pray that, that you would open our hearts, our minds, our lives, and Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come in and catch these words aflame that come from my mouth because we recognize that nothing good can come of this otherwise. So Lord, we love you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 19. All right, so uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible near you on the floor. And if you don't have a Bible, period, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. It'll also be on the screens. We have lots of Scripture today, so just kind of hang out in Matthew 6. Don't try to follow around because we're going to be really letting Scripture teach stewardship for us today. If you were here last week, maybe this sounds familiar. Maybe you're like, wait a second, isn't, is this deja vu or is this what we taught last week? This is the exact passage that, that Brian taught from last week. And yes, this is on purpose, okay? It wasn't like we didn't talk and then we're like, oh no. Um, it's on purpose. Uh, but uh, as, we, as we come into this today, we, I want us to make sure that we're building off of what, what Brian uh, taught last week. Um, and he, he did a great job of giving us the grand view of what stewardship is. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to at some point over a lunch break or, or some other time, set, apart, set, set aside about 45 to 50 minutes to, to listen to his message because he did a great job of giving us the grand view. Um, but this week, we want to drill down into what, into what this kind of stewardship looks like on a very personal level. Level. So we're going to take what the foundation that Brian built last week, and we're going to work towards just application, application, and application today. Um, so, and I love, I love what Brian said last week. He 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 challenged us to to look at this series this way. He said, "What if instead of looking at it as a, as us doing a three week series on stewardship, we look at it as a three week series about the liberation of your soul unto joy?" What a great encouragement and challenge. And, and, and also I love the kind of the central theme. You've already heard it today uh, that he pointed out. This comes from the, the, Westminster Catech, the Westminster Catechism of what is the chief end of man. And it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we'll see that as we, as we, as we aim our lives at this, at this posture of stewardship, we will actually know the greatest joy and the greatest purpose that any of us were created for. So I'm going to read this passage in full. I'm going to quickly review kind of last week, just so you don't have to wait until you listen to it, and then we're going to move through our application, okay? All right, so let's read this in full. Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 24. Again, it'll be on your screens or, or uh, there in a Bible in front of you or on your apps. Here we go, starting in verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and still. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> the, 
The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So let's do a quick review of this text from, from what Brian taught last week. First off is this, God created the world. He created the world and everything in it. Therefore, all things belong to him. That is a foundational concept. That's what this text is pointing us to. God created all things. God created all of the world and everything in it. Therefore, it all belongs to him. Number one, foundational. We've got to know that. We've got to understand that. That's where, if you want to find liberation unto joy, that's where it starts. He didn't just create the stuff. He didn't just create the things. But he also ordered how it all fits together. He also ordered the way in which all things relate to one another. The way we relate to one another, the way that we relate to creation, the way we relate to God, the way that the, 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 cre the creation relates to us. He ordered all that. So he didn't just call it into being. He also, in his wisdom and in his provision, ordered the way it all fits together and relates. Therefore, true joy for us in this life as those created by God for his purpose in his image comes from living in a way that achieves his purposes in the way that he intends through how we partake and use all that he has created. So Godward stewardship, the stewardship that, that honors God, that, that, that achieves his intended, intended purpose, makes an investment in things that last forever instead of things that only last for this life. What we just saw in those kids, keeping the future in mind. So what is the enemy of stewardship? The enemy of stewardship and our own fullness of joy is this. It is when that, that which was created and given to us as a good gift becomes the very thing we give ourselves to. In other words, we orient our entire lives to created things instead of the Creator. We derive our meaning from how much of the created things we have instead of the fact that the Creator of all things, the living God, has given all of Himself to us and invited us to give all of ourselves to Him in Jesus Christ. So in His provision, all things are good. In His provision, all things are satisfied. In His provision we see our purpose. So I know, I mean, that, that was a 50-minute talk so, summarized in that fashion. So obviously there's so much more to dig into. So really, please go back and listen to it. But for the rest of today, we're going to look at the foundational principles from Matthew 6 that we just, we just read of stewardship, but we're going to apply them specifically to how we live um, just, just from the rest of Scripture. Again, all of Scripture is one. And so we can't just come just to Matthew 6.19 and say, okay, this is it, but all of Scripture works together to teach us. So we're going to really look at, and again, the posture of application from this text, what the rest of Scripture calls us to as we live to steward well uh, what God has given in His creation. We'll see that it is both an inward and an outward work to steward well. So it's one of, of an inward work where we are, are personally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually uh, living unto God and also externally with our behaviors and actions. Although all is God's at the same time, as we, as we look at Scripture, it does teach that as a part of our stewardship, 
we do have personal ownership in this life. We see that this is the beginning of stewardship, is that we are given personal ownership. First off, let's just start with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments implicitly teach that we have personal ownership. Exodus 20.15 says, you shall not steal. Well, in order for something to be stolen, there must be ownership. So again, implicitly, we, we are given ownership of things. It gets even more clear when it comes to dealing with, with matters of the heart, desires of the heart, when we get to the 10th commandment, Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. And we can go ahead and know that it also means uh, her husband um, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we see that the beginning of stewardship is that God has given us, as his stewards of this world, those that were, gone, that, that were given to, to have dominion over this world, to cultivate this world, we are given personal ownership. And because we've been given such a level of control over these things, God will hold us all the more responsible for how we embody his given stewardship responsibilities. So first off, in, in saying that it's all God's, he created it, let's we don't get just to shirk responsibility or be or all of a sudden embrace some skewed idea of asceticism which is to like where we own nothing where we pull away from all we see that it's we actually do scripture affirms and points us to the fact that we are given personal ownership as part of God's endowing work in creation so it's clear that we own things in this world okay can we say that uh, so it's clear that we own things in this world there are there are things that have been given to each of us by God. So the question is, how, how, are we, how are we to steward all that has been given? Um, so first we need to identify that all that has been given is more than just material things and possessions, more than just money and possessions. It goes beyond that. All that God has given goes beyond just these tangible material things. So, so what are some of those things? First, we see in Scripture, we have also been given talents and skills by God, your abilities. And speaking of the ability to lead, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So even the ability, whatever you have, the abilities you have are from God. We're also given time and opportunity, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're also giving time and opportunity. Some are given the wonderful responsibility of raising children. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. So we are to steward the way that we parent, to steward our kids. To others, the gift of remaining single. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 8, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of, the, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Okay. 
So then there's also the spiritual gifts and the ministries of the kingdom. So it's the, it's the, it's the call to the ministries, the responsibility to the opportunities of kingdom work that each of one of us are called to and endowed with, and also the gifts to achieve those. Those are from God as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Ephesians 3, 1 through 3, for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So we see again a stewardship of calling. Lastly, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in, in, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him being glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But thinking about the way that God gifts us in our spiritual gifts and the calls to ministries, think about what you hear there is, one, we are not all endowed equally. Just plain and simple. And we're not all given the same responsibilities, but they are all equally important. And this, the text we read today doesn't go to all that, but you can go look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 to see the pictures of this played out, to see that we are all gifted, although not given the same gifts, and we're all given responsibility, although not the same responsibilities. And that's important as we think about how we as a whole live out the expression of kingdom, kingdom people and kingdom ministry. And, just to, and maybe I'm using the word kingdom a lot. Maybe I should just define it real quickly. Um, there is a promised kingdom. Um, wow, this is, I just, like I could do this in 10 seconds, seriously. Um, I just, let me, so when we're talking about the kingdom, let me just say this. We're talking about the promised kingdom that is to come, the kingdom when Jesus returns and all is restored. Right now, we are living as people of the kingdom where personally, we do not fear death because we are made alive in Christ. We're personally, we are not bound in slaves to sin and death because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And so right now, relationally, experientially, we have the hope and the freedom of the full kingdom. But there is a day to come when Jesus returns and calls all of his people and restores all things where there will, where there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. And that is our future hope that feeds our present purpose, right? That's our future hope that is also our present hope. And so just, I know that is uh, very anemic in fully explaining the kingdom of God, but at least just so we have a little bit of context and we can dig into that more another time if you like, and we will. We talk about kingdom a lot. Um, and so, uh, so in summarizing the way that, that we've been gifted in things outside of possessions and material things, we see that in addition to our possessions, we are, we are to also steward our influence, our abilities, and our opportunities. It's all a part of it. So we're to steward them so that each of them bring the greatest kingdom impact through our lives. That is what it is to steward them. So our stewardship of God's creation goes way beyond our possessions and money, but we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at stewarding our possessions and money. And you're like, why? If you're not asking why, I'm asking why. First, there's nothing more tangible to diagnose the state of our hearts toward God than the material things we have. Just that, that's one of the reasons we find joy in, in giving. Because like, if you want to be challenged to hold loosely the things of the world... Give what you have. Give what you have. And so this is a great 
that's a great evidence of, of really the posture of our hearts. Do we really believe God is who he says he is? Do we believe that we're called to live the way that he's called us to live? Do we believe that we're called to give the way he's called us to give? The tangible things are, 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 are much more uh, true, truly evidencing uh, what's going on in our hearts. And that's what Jesus is concerned about. More importantly, even though I said firstly, more importantly, as Randy Alcorn pointed out in the treasure principle, he said this, he said, 15% of everything Jesus taught relates to money and possessions. That's more than his teaching on heaven and hell combined. So if we are Jesus people, people of Jesus, people saved by Jesus, people following Jesus, then his teaching matters. So 15% of everything he taught was about the material possessions and money that we have and how we use them. Um, so, but, but, so it's important. And I love how, how one commentator summarized uh, responsible stewardship. He said this. You'll see it on the screen. It says, The concept of responsible stewardship before God requires that believers use all their property and possessions in ways that are pleasing to God and faithful to his teachings and Scripture. So how do we do that? Let's look at some principles to help us live in this temporal world, world reflecting the reality of an eternal kingdom. That's, that's our life, to live in this temporal world in a way that reflects an eternal kingdom and that you are a part of it. And, that, and through you, God wants to invite others. First, we see that some resources, some of our resources, some of our material things, our money should be used for supporting yourself and your family. It's not bad to provide for your family. As a matter of fact, it's commanded that we do and that we should. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, the second part of 10 through 12 says this, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So we should work to make a living. We should work to support ourselves. Also, we're to enjoy that, that which God has provided us instead of, of feeling guilty for what we have. Again, like it's okay to have things. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if, if it is received with thanksgiving. If it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So when we enjoy that which God has given in a way that exposes our, our, our full gratefulness to all that he provides, then that very posture of life is a thing that actually calls glory to God and actually is, is sanctified for his purpose. 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, so there are rich in this economy of the kingdom that God is putting before us, charge them not to be haughty. It doesn't say tell them to give it all away. God did tell a rich young ruler to do that, because, but, but that's because God knew his heart. He knew that's what he needed to be free. But he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So we see, again, we are being exhorted to the posture of our hearts and the ambitions of our work and the ambitions of our acquiring of these possessions. Just as much as our possessions are to be enjoyed with great fullness, there's also a great danger to them becoming the thing that we orient our entire lives toward, as Brian 
I mentioned last week. So here, here are some of these warnings. Psalm 62.10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we're talking about the things of the world. We should love people, but we're talking about the offerings of the world that, that, that stay in the world. Um, the desire, uh, for all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And one more, Hebrews 13.5, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's a there's a an opposing truth there. And when I say opposing, I don't mean, I mean like uh, positive and negative. In the negative, don't be content. Uh, don't be uh, content with what you have. Don't find your contentment in what you have, but do find your, your greatest contentment in the fact that God, your creator, the Holy One will never leave you nor forsake you. That is your contentment. So not so. Let us not forget. And, and you know we, we we can pull from the passage we're actually teaching from today, Matthew six twenty four. You cannot serve God and money. So, let us be humble as we reflect on what we have and don't have. Every one of us in this room have a different level and don't have at a different level, if I could say it that way. But yet, we're all invited and commanded to find contentment in what we have. As Paul said, I have found the ability to be content in having much and having nothing. It's because his contentment was in the will of God being done in his life. His contentment was in a holy life unto God. So all is from God and is for God. He is our sufficiency. Therefore, we are always purposeful and grateful. It doesn't change, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our level of, of income and possessions. It doesn't change because God is unchanging. Another thing worth mentioning is that it is good to save. It's good to save money. As we read, in it, you know, we, were, we just finished uh, James a couple weeks ago, and just a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 4. James 4.14 says, tells us that we don't know what tomorrow holds. So it's good to be wise and to plan and to, and to save for the future, to be prepared, again, so that you can respond in your, own, in your own means with what comes, if possible. You know, thinking about also if we save well, that also frees us up to go as God leads into world mission. After all, we are a sent people, and we're sent to our neighbor Starting with our, well, actually, we're sent to our families first, and but then that that sentness, that that call to go, extends all the way to the ends of the earth. And I hope that every one of you in here has this posture, this idea about yourself that that God could call you to the ends of the earth. He could call you to leave your home. He could call you to to leave what you know. He could call you out. I mean, and there's story after story of people feeling that 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 pool in their life, but yet saying, gosh, man, I've got all this. I don't have, I don't have the finances available to me to do that. And it's just, so if you, if you save well, if you plan well, man, that'll just shorten your, your on-ramp to actually 
to, to be involved in that world mission. Again, God is bigger than all that. He's never surprised, and he can work in all things. But again, our part of it. Also, we need not be, be beholden to anyone that could cause us to shy away from, from proclaiming the truths of our God and Jesus. And so again, if there is that relationship that you owe money to that isn't a believer, and, and all of a sudden like you, you feel this, this obstacle between you and them to proclaim Christ. Again, that's just a very practical outlaying of why it's good to be, to be a wise steward and to save. But this doesn't mean that we don't ask for help when we need it, especially, especially amongst one another. We are meant to bring our needs to one another. We are meant to step in for one another. We see that in Acts 2.42 all the time. Um, but, but we are meant to help one another. And it's actually a gift to invite the family of God, those alongside you, into your life as these things that we can't plan for come in. Um, and so, again, don't hear it that way. Don't hear that we don't ask for help. But it's just saying this is a, a wise outcome. And So here's the key, though. We save, but we don't hoard. Right? That's a big difference. We save, but we don't, don't hoard. Because we have to realize that as we save for ourselves and our future, we must consider that whatever we save is not being given to others' needs presently, is not being given to building the church presently, is not being given to, spread, to the spread of the gospel presently. And again, this is where we don't like the life of following Christ sometimes because we want it just to be cut and dry, give me a number, show me the way. But this is why we're given the Holy Spirit. This is why we're invited into relationship. You've got to do the hard work of being prayerful, being humble, and considering asking God through the Holy Spirit to show you that which is right in this manner. So you, you make plans, you hold them up against the truth of God, and then you, you, you have a, a, a good sober view of, of the impact of your work of how you steward and how you save and how you give. It's just not clean, but it's wonderful. The, 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 the journey with God, the journey of being led by the Holy Spirit, the journey of being a part of things where you see a provision happen that's not by your hands, where, where you see God lead in a way that doesn't make sense to you, but then you see his fruit come from it. That is a really fun life. So as we save, we do not do so to build up treasures here, but rather so that we can build up treasures in heaven more effectively. Pretty simple. You've got to be prayerful and humble and diligent in pursuing how that plays out in your life. Again, being reminded of our text, do not lay up, this is 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So it's okay to have possessions and money, and we should be wise with them thinking about tomorrow, right? So we, we can establish that. So let's keep going. We're moving quickly. Sort of another area greatly emphasized in Scripture is that we should give money to those in need and to the Lord's work in the church and missions, right? You're like, okay, well, here it comes. Here's where the shoe drops. Finally, we're going to talk about giving money in church. Yes, we are, okay? We are. That's part of it, okay? So giving to the ministry of the church, first off, um, when we think about this in the Old Testament, we see the tithe prescribed. The tithe, is, it translates as the tenth, which is 10% off of the top. And we see that those in the Old Testament were commanded to give 10% off the top of their grain, of their herds, and of their flocks. And we see this in Leviticus 27, 30, and 32. Every tithe of the land, whether of seed or of land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Skipping to 32. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth, 
animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy unto the Lord. So they're giving for the sake of the sacrifices in the temple. They're giving to support uh, those of the tribe of the Levites to to administer uh, the sacrifices on behalf of the people. So they're supporting them. And so we see that all of the people were giving a tenth off of the top of all that they had so that the, so, so that the, the, the priesthood of God could administer the sacrifices and the, and the leadership to the people of God. So we see that Jesus reinforces the tithe in the New Testament when he's, when he's teaching the scribes and the Pharisees, but we never see the tithe uh, reinforced in the early uh, teaching of the New Testament church uh, throughout Acts and all of the epistles. So what's that about? Instead of a fixed amount, we see a posture of the heart. And even Jesus, in his reinforcing of the tithe, teaching the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them to the more important uh, posture of the heart, the view of, of caring for someone's whole person than just fulfilling some religious requirement. So he's in, he's, Jesus is concerned with the heart. We are to be, here's the posture that's laid out to us. We are to be generous. We're to give abundantly. We're to give sacrificially, and we're to be cheerful as we do so. Like, that's the posture. And you see that that number, whatever that number is, is not the same for all of us. And it may not even be this, I say may, it's not always the same for you. Every year we take, a special, we take two special offerings, and that's an opportunity for us to, to respond to specific ministry opportunities, and, and we, we encourage this, this posture to go forward. We don't give the same amount every year. We pray and we say, okay, God, what is generous? What's sacrificial? Let's help us to do it joyfully. So, again, it's not the same for everybody and it's not always the same for you, but that's the posture in which we are commanded to. Look at what Paul teaches as he's inviting churches to support the poor that are in the Jerusalem church in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. It says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in case you think that lets us off the hook of giving our 10%, um, it's hard to imagine that God expects any less than that in the New Testament. Because what we've seen in the progression of his truth and his teaching from Old Testament to New Testament is never requiring less, but always requiring more. Just go look at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, in, in, the old, in, in the Old Testament, and as the Pharisees carried it forward, they were saying, hey, as long as we don't kill, we're good. And Jesus said, hey, it's not just don't kill, but if, you're, if, you're, if you harbor anger towards someone, you've killed them in your heart. It says, And then it says... Uh, no, it's not just don't commit adultery, which was the stipulation in the Old Testament. It was if you lust after another in your heart, it is as if you have committed adultery. And we see that over and over and over again because what Jesus is doing is turning just this behavior driven of, 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 of you know, actionable sacrifices into actually a motivation of a changed heart, evidencing a transformed life as we have been made new in Christ through his atoning work. And so we see that over and over again, the trajectory is not to lessen the requirement, to actually require more of all of our life. And so again, I say this to you with much humility and gentleness and open hands as you pray about what you are to give. Hey, I honest, I do not know what people give in our church. I see big numbers. That's all I see. I just see the buckets. We trust you and we trust the Holy Spirit, so be prayerful. We do encourage you, like, hey, you should, if this is your church, you should be a part of supporting ministry here. 
you should be a part of supporting the work not only unto us through each other, but also through us to the world. And we work hard to do that. And so if you're not, I encourage you to start. If you have questions that you think prevents you from participating in that, and yet you, you say that this is your church, I encourage you to have conversations with us, with the elders, myself, Kurt, or Jairo, our financial team, Nathan Pope, Marisa Matthews, or Megan Moore, um, your small group leaders if you're in a transformation group. Let's have those conversations because it's part of God's kingdom effectiveness through our church is that we would actually help in supporting each other and funding the ministry of the kingdom through each other. So... I don't even, I'm off my notes 100% right now. Um, the teaching of Jesus has always required more than less. So the call of those in Christ is to care for those in need. The emphasis all throughout the New Testament seems to be on prioritizing, supporting one another of the church first as we think about how we care for those in need. 1 John 3.17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, that's speaking of in the family of God, in the church, his brother and sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So it is an evidence of a changed life, an evidence of a unified fellowship in Christ. Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we as a church, we structure our finances so that we can do that, but we also expect that you as a church, uh, in your small groups, that you are each other's first line of defense, that again, we are the priesthood of believers, we pastor one another, we shepherd one another, so that's just a posture of our life. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't care for those outside of the church. As a matter of fact, it is imperative that we do so. And that we exhibit the very character and mission of God to love the outcast and oppressed and the rebel and to pursue the very ones that have sinned against him. You and me. Remember how he pursued you. I remember how he pursued me. I was the outcast. I was the outsider. I was the one who was spit in his face. And yet he pursued me. He met my greatest need. And so in us, not just, although we do prioritize supporting one another so that we can build each other up so that we can be outside of these walls administering the gospel of grace to the world, we should also, in a very active way, in a very personal way, be acting as we have opportunity and as we have ability. We should be acting to support those who are, are less resourced and who are poor. Because it, it, it reveals the reality of a good God and His kingdom reign. Luke 6, 32-36, if, if you love those who love you, what benefit, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And in your own heart and mind, when you read that, make sure you, write, you just tack on to you. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Don't just let it be applied generally outside of you, but make sure it starts with you, as He has been merciful to you. We see that caring for the poor and under-resourced of the world is a way that God intends to reveal His goodness to the world through those that are in Christ. Listen to this illustration real quick. The generosity of the church, both within, and this is a, 
yes, so the generosity of the church, both within and outside the family of faith, eventually led the anti-Christian Roman emperor Julian, the apostle who reigned in the 4th century AD, to complain. This is what he complained. He said, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. So in his resentment because of the, the advancing, he didn't, he, he just advanced, to him it's the advancing of the, the superstition of Christianity. What's in reality is the advancing of the reality of the kingdom. That's what's happening. That's what he's describing that he doesn't have words for. It's happening through just the normal everyday people of Jesus. They're taking not only care of their own poor, but also of theirs as well. And you see that this is not left to be a program of the church for us as the bridge Montrose. This is not going to be an expression of who we are because we as an organization say, okay, well, here are our community initiatives. Go do this, go do that. The picture here, it says the impious Galileans, just the, the, the nobodies, the nobodies, they're, they're doing it. Not that you're nobodies, but it's not just some entity. It's, it's the body of Christ, the people of God with this posture as each has ability and as each has opportunity and as each is stirred by the Holy Spirit, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus as you are able and invite those brothers and sisters in Christ that are alongside you to go with you. That's it. That's how it's going to happen. Yes, we as a church want to gather our resources and our efforts, and we do that, and we try to identify faithful partnerships. But it's going to happen through each of you, not through saying, okay, what's the church doing? I'll jump in with that. Lead out. Help us. So your giving to the church is also meant to support those that lead the church. Those that have been called to lead the church have the sole purpose of teaching and equipping you so that you can live out God's kingdom purpose. 1 Timothy 5, 17-18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So this is an investment in yourself as well as the kingdom. And I'll tell you, your tithing, your giving goes to my salary. It goes to paying for this space. It goes to paying for our office. It goes to all of our administrative costs. But we as leadership and as a church commit to do our best as the Lord leads to, to steward that humbly and also purposefully praying and, and considering, does this further the kingdom through us? Does this facilitate us reaching and discipling, equipping and sending? That's our, that's our commitment. We're human. We don't make great decisions all the time, but we try, and we, again, we're, we, we do this together. And so that's our commitment to you. So just to be really clear, your giving goes to all of those things. So to close, we, we say this. Let's think about the proactive work that stewardship facilitates for kingdom impact in, impact in this world. We can contrast that with passive stewardship, thinking about opportunities, um, skills, influence, all those things. To be passive in your stewardship is just to make sure not to mess up or like in your workplace, just being kind. Like, it's, like that's great. You can be kind. But you're actually, every one of you, if you are in Christ, are meant to be kingdom leaders. You are meant to lead out in advancing the kingdom. 
So when we say we're equipping people, we're not just equipping people how, how to act. We're equipping them to be kingdom advancers. So in your workplace, you don't just be nice. You actually foster an environment that promotes human flourishing. You actually foster an environment that reveals the reality of a good, sovereign God. You actually foster the reality that there is a promise to come where there is, no, again, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. So we, in a very, in a very proactive way, as we steward in a way that all belongs to God and all is for His glory and He's given it to us for His purpose, then we actually are proactive in advancing the kingdom. It advances the gospel and the kingdom. So let's live in a way that proclaims there's a greater promise and reward than what this world offers. John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest man ever, men ever to live. And when he passed away, someone asked his accountant, they said, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant very wisely and quickly said, all of it. He left it all behind. Every bit of wealth you make in this world will either be taken away in your lifetime or you will leave it when you die. So, be grateful for what you have. Work well unto the Lord and realize it's all for His purpose. Invest in what matters. Invest in what lasts. Invest in that which will never fail or fade. We will, so we'll close with the words of a martyr missionary named Jim Elliott. He says this, He is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. God, just turn our lives upside down, wreck our hearts and our minds, open our eyes, our ears, our lives, our hearts to all that you are and to the fact that all that you've given is a good gift from you, but is solely for your purpose. Every bit of position and possession that we have, Lord, is for your purpose, is for the name of Jesus to be lifted high, is for your name and renown to be exalted in all the earth. We are a people of Jesus' mission. We are a people restored and Christ. We are a people called to purpose. We are not just to, to maintain and to exist and to not mess up. We are called to be proactive, pursuing you, God, pursuing the things of you, God, pursuing the things that you care about, Lord, to seek and to save the lost, to come in and to, to meet the need of a hurting and falling world, God. And as we can, let us do it in tangible ways. And Lord, let us, let us do that with great joy, but let us always be prayerful and, and, and urgent, Lord, to, to call people to Christ, or that they can know wholeness, that they can know forgiveness, that they can know redemption, that they can know a peace that surpasses understanding, and they can know a promise that is greater in the world to come than it is right now. And so, Lord, as we continue to respond in communion, God, I pray that, uh, that, uh, that, that you would just continue to work in our hearts. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.